When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to take the questions of the day and answer them in ways that are somewhat comprehensible. And today we're asking the question, uh, what is a king really supposed to do? And how do kings succeed and how do they fail? And hopefully why we need to study both their successes and failures, whether that's Solomon or Louis, King of France or anybody. And we also remember that um, Christian democracy is a kind of new thing. Before that, they didn't have a lot of ways to think about government. Well, at least not as many ways as we have today. But here's Louis, King of France and Solomon, dynamic duo. One of my favorite parts of the Bible is this dream where Solomon has a conversation with God. It's really strange how in the Bible there's different encounters with God. God speaks to some people through burning bushes, through, through other people, um, but God does speak through people in dreams. And it's quite common um, that this happens in the Bible. It might not be so common in our lives, or maybe we just don't recognize it as being common, but it is. Um, God speaks to us in dreams today. Maybe not conversationally, like God speak, spoke to Solomon, but perhaps more intuitively by the kinds of things that we're processing, the kinds of things we're afraid of, the kind of unresolved conflicts that we've had in our day that we ex- re-experience in the night. And certainly, when we are troubled with dreams and nightmares and those sorts of um, traumatic dreams, that's a sign of our own dis-ease. And prayers for healing and medical interventions are really good for us at those times. So God is still speaking through us in dreams, telling us to get some help, telling us that all is not well, or sometimes giving us a really good experience in a dream where we get to see somebody we've missed or haven't seen in a long time. And Solomon has this dream where he gets the riddle. What do you want, Solomon? You can have whatever you want. He's just married the Pharaoh's daughter. You can see the reversing of the Exodus happening here in Solomon's life. The Pharaoh who enslaved God's people. The Pharaoh who tried to kill God's people as they escaped their enslavement. Um, Now another Pharaoh has come along and he is begging to be part of Solomon's family by joining in this alliance with his daughter and Solomon. Solomon is famous for his many wives, um, many wives and porcupines that he had, or concubines, excuse me, that Solomon had throughout his life. And most of these were political alliances, as we know from this story and many others. And all of them um, had their own ways of worshiping, and Solomon would build a temple for each of his brides. Um, So you can imagine Jerusalem is sort of having all these temples pop up all over the place, small and big, um, in addition to the temple that Solomon is building for the one true and holy God. And the part about this that I love is Solomon 
his self-effacing comment or self-deprecating humor. He says, I am but a child, O God. Solomon is 30 years old at this time, it says in the Bible. But he's, he says, I'm just a child. He is aware of the gravity of his task. How, how do I be a king of this expanding empire? What do I do? How do I have the kind of wisdom to know what to do when, what, when my decisions will cost the lives of people? It'll either save the lives of people or they will die fighting or die from some other invader coming in. This is the primary concern of every king. And on this day, August 25th, where we celebrate the feast day of Louis the King, um, Louis the King is um, Louis King of France. In America, he is the king um, that Louisville, Kentucky, is named after. Also, St. Louis in uh, Missouri is named after Louis, King of France. He is a figure that has a lot of influence on us here in America and on the church as a whole. Like Solomon, uh, Louis came to power in France when he was about 11 years old. Um, his father died and he is crowned king. We often think of monarchies ruled by king as being pretty stable government forms and that you sort of have like a king and then you have another king and then you have another king um, and there's no elections, there's no campaigns, no voting, that sort of thing. But if you read history, you find that monarchies are extremely unstable because kings die, they get sick, they don't have babies, they don't have male babies. There's all sorts of things that can happen to kings. So in some ways, monarchy is just as unstable as any other form of government. But Louis comes at a very early age. His mother is his regent, Blanche of Castile, and she herself is very devoted to the Christian faith. Um, at 20, he marries Margaret of Provence, who has with him 11 children, nine of whom lived past infancy, which is a lot. We're talking the 1200s AD. The 1200s AD, France is really not what we consider a country yet. Um, it is a geographic region that the king of France purportedly is king over, but there are lots of other places that we now call France that wouldn't consider themselves French at this time. Uh, kings like Louis and others are trying to consolidate the kingdom, and that's one of their main jobs. And one of their main jobs is to protect the people that they rule over. Um, he, from a very early age, exhibits a very simple life. He's sort of known as the monk king. He doesn't go for all the extravagances of dress and courtly life and all these other things. Um, he's devoted to his family. He's devoted to visiting the poor and the sick in hospitals. Um, he believed that the crown was given to him by God and that he should exercise it well. Um, he becomes very ill um, around the age of 30 or so. He becomes very ill and as is the custom of the time, he decides that if he recovers, he will go on a crusade. The crusades have been humming along for hundreds of years now. Crusades were not just a one and done thing. They were um, really lasted up into the 1500s from really the, um, 11, well, the 11th century. So we're talking about 500 years of crusading back and forth of all different types, shapes and um, combos. Um, so he decides to go uh, lead a crusade. 
Um, he is extremely unsuccessful in this crusade, the Seventh Crusade. By the time the Seventh Crusade rolls around, um, it's pretty hard to win a crusade for Europe. Um, but while he's there, he's there with uh, Edward Longshanks. Um, you may remember him from the movie Braveheart. He's the English king who also goes on this Seventh Crusade, this very unsuccessful crusade um, there. And he's captured by, Louis the, is captured by the Egyptian forces, ransomed, send comes home to France in great disgrace. And I don't know how much that event of failure um, changed some of his outlook on life and perhaps led to some of his really rash decisions later. It's hard to know what goes on inside the head of a guy that lived in the 1200s. But um, he devotes himself to building chapels at this point, um, some of which are still standing that you can visit today. Saint-Chapelle, the Holy Chapel, um, he bought with, he, he put, he, he built for uh, relics of the crown of thorns and a fragment of the true cross. Um, the fragments of the true cross were found all throughout the Holy Land and rallied the crusaders. And then they were brought back to Europe. And as Martin Luther famously said, who was very anti-relic, he said, if you put all the pieces of the true cross together, you could have a battleship or something like that. Um, there was a lot of fragments of the true cross, but he paid more for the fragments of the true cross than he paid for the chapel. It shows you what relics were costing and how valuable they were to medieval Christians um, and why the Reformation, which does away with relics pretty much across the board. I mean, the, the big day of Reformation in Germany is October 31st, Reformation Day or the eve of All Saints Day, when all the relics would be brought out for people to be near and they would pay to be near them. And this is why the flashpoint of the Reformation is relics more than anything else. Um, and so uh, he builds this uh, chapel and, and then engages in some really horrific things for which um, it's really shocking that people later recognized him as a saint. Uh, there was a lot of pressure from European Christians at this time to expel Jewish people. Um, and Louis the King, uh, King Louis, does this. He persecutes Jewish people in his kingdom um, in a horrific way. Um, he burns 12,000 manuscripts of the Talmud and other Jewish holy books. Um, and through this uh, horrific act of, of cruelty, not just cruelty, but really genocide, um, cultural genocide, um, we see... Um, we see his, the evil that is inside him coming out. Um, we see him expressing that and giving into it in a really awful way. Um, he definitely, um, uh, his life trajectory at this point takes a real nosedive, um, not just from this horrific act of burning all these books and expelling Jewish people um, from certain parts of France. He then goes on crusade again, the Eighth Crusade, you think he would have learned his lesson the first time uh, to North Africa. And this is, I believe, the Umayyad Caliphate. By this time, the Muslim empire is divided into several different caliphates that all are competing with each other and fighting each other occasionally, and also fighting Europeans. And so um, there on this crusade, as in many of the crusades, um, uh, the flux of the stomach, probably cholera, which you get from drinking dirty water, um, in military camps generally, or refugee camps. Um, he gets that and he dies along with many of his fellow uh, crusaders in that time. 
showing the, the really the emptiness of that kind of power. And so he is canonized as a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, and Anglicans recognize him as a saint. And like all the saints, um, we see that they often did some really horrific things, and we wonder, should they be saints today? And, and some of them we take out of our books, um, and we certainly have with many. Um, Louis is still here, um, partly because of the time in which he lived, um, and partly because we don't know what else to do with him. Uh, we, we look at the legacy of, of history and say, um, he's very similar to Solomon, or maybe Josiah, another Jewish king in the Bible, in that um, he starts out really well, and he ends up doing things that even he would be appalled at. And this is how power corrupts people, I think, more than anything. We can see that when someone is only accountable to God and not accountable to anybody else, um, that we can justify just about anything. Human beings are really good at working our minds around something we want to do, figuring out how we want to do it, and then doing it, and thinking that we are doing good. Um, and this is, the, this is what happens in the human heart. This is where human evil comes from. Human evil rarely comes from someone plotting evil outright. Usually, it's a longing for some kind of recognition, a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. This is how Jesus described sin. Um, we want stuff we can't have, and then we try to get it in ways that we that it shortcut the normal processes for getting things. Um, the lust of the eyes, we see things that we want and desire, and we say, I, I could get that quicker uh, this way than by waiting. Um, and the pride of life, that vain glory that says, you know, I really, people ought to treat me a lot better than they do. Um, people ought to recognize me for how wonderful I am all the time, even when I'm not, even when I mistreat them. Um, these are the, the kinds of desires that lead to the kind of sin that we see in the life of Louis, uh, King of France. And so while we thank God for the good things that he did um, in his time, in his time, we also remember the awful things that he did and the people whose lives his decisions affected. Um, just because you don't do something yourself doesn't mean that you're not responsible for it. And Louis is a good example of that. Um, and we hope that there, as he lay dying in North Africa, that he thought about some of these things. Um, and maybe even before that, he thought about some of these things. So we pray uh, this prayer. O God, you called your servant Louis, king of France, to an earthly throne, that he might advance your heavenly kingdom, and gave him zeal for your church and love for your people. Mercifully grant that we who commemorate him this day may be fruitful in good works and attain to the glorious crown of your saints through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you go to, the, to St. Louis today, you can see the Catholic Basilica there is a mosaic basilica made with little tiny stones all over the ceiling and all over the walls. And there's Louis, King of France in St. Louis. Um, a beautiful building, really something. Louis would have liked it, I think, um, if he were here today.